Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Blows. Fucking molasses. Get more great content like this at jiggyjaguar.com. That's right. More great content of me bitching about my equipment. Welcome to it. It is the world famous Jiggy Jaguar radio broadcast. We are going to go to John O'Connor, who is going to join us here in just a few seconds here on our big broadcast. As soon as I can get Skype to work, uh, I, I, I don't even know what the heck is going on with any of this stuff. Everything is just so slow. Everything is just such a mess. We've got roofs leaking, which is always a situation that I have to deal with here in the good old Swiss Army apartment upgrade. And uh, just lots of things happening. Lots of things not happening. <laughs> But thanks for tuning in. It is the world-famous Cheeky Jaguar radio broadcast. We are coast-to-coast and border-to-border on iHeartRadio today, amfm247.com. Tune in iTunes and uh, trying to get this Skype thing to go here. We've got the spinning wheel of death working its way through our fine-feathered program. So we are going to see if we can finally get Skype to go. And we could finally get John O'Connor on this broadcast. Live video on our website, JiggyJaguar.com, when it works. Of course, you can find us each and every day over there at J-I-G-G-Y-J-G-U-A-R.com. We are live from the KJAG Radio Studios in Hutchinson, Kansas. Unfortunately, Monday through Friday, we are 2 Central, 3 Eastern, 12 Pacific, and 1 PM Mountain Standard. And of course, 24-7 at JiggyJaguar.com. On-demand podcasts are available via iHeartRadio. Live videos are available on Twitch, Periscope, when Elon Musk brings it back, Facebook, and more. And selected editions will be on AMFM247.com, 50-plus AMFM stations across the country and around the world. And, of course, the Jiggy Jaguar Radio Network is available on KFRK in Denver, as well as a complete list at our website, JiggyJaguar.com. Follow us on social media as well. And, of course, you can find daily videos uploaded to YouTube, cross-posted to Rumble as well. And uh, I am literally going to get through my entire sheet before Skype will load. This is fantastic! So we're just going to do this. No, it has has, uh, plagued us for the last 27 minutes here, but I think we finally have our good friend John O'Connor joining us. Via the old skip Skype, the old Skype Rooney and John, let's um, let's talk a little bit about what the hell this year was like. <laughs> it, it was really wild. Uh, it's really wild, and I think the last thing first 
Okay. Probably the most incredible action that's been around all year, and it's been obvious to you and me, um, is that we can talk all we want about the election and whether or not they did the right thing in Philadelphia or Milwaukee and whether they in Detroit they no. closed the polls, the wrong place, all that stuff. And we have all this election issues, and yet there's one clear fact, and that is that the FBI, not just the partisan social media, not just the partisan press, but the FBI conspired to rig the election with the Hunter Biden um, suppression of the story. And thank God that Elon Musk took over Twitter. Now, maybe poor Musk may be ready for the bankruptcy courts. I don't know. But he's a heck of a guy. And the fact that he got this stuff out there, we never would have gotten this. Think about it. If Musk had not taken over Twitter and had not been really stupid enough to overpay, I hate to say that because he's a decent guy, (laughs) but he overpaid, tried to get out of it. Had he gotten out of it, we still never would have learned that this is just a terrible, terrible thing. This is not something that was... um, where, where these um, the media just latched onto stuff and decided not to publish this, this was a purposeful initiative by a government agency. And here's the trouble, the big trouble. Not only is it false, not only is it terrible, not only is it slanted and it's partisan, it was using our counterintelligence national security apparatus yes. to betray the person that is in charge of that. Under our Constitution, the person in charge of counterintelligence and national security is the president himself. You have none of this shielding like you do in law enforcement where the president's supposed to be above it. And like President Nixon can lie to the FBI and get impeached because he's separate and apart, independent from the independent law enforcement. Yeah. Counterintelligence is not an independent law enforcement deal. It is the president's deal. And so here it is, the president supposedly running this. Meanwhile, his national security apparatus is out there not only falsely using uh, national security information, but using it against him in an attempt to depose him from office. Yeah. I, I mean, this is so stunning. And this should be the worst thing that's ever happened in American history. I mean, yes. without a doubt. I thought Russiagate was the worst, and people didn't seem too excited about it. Now you've got this. This is far worse than anything. Of course, far worse than Watergate. There's nothing in American history where an organ of the United States government went out on a deliberate mission to oust from uh, power its boss in the executive branch, the president. So to me, this is huge. It's monumental. And, um, you know, you and I have been talking about it to some extent all year. But now with this Twitter outing, we do not look like we're just crying in the desert. We don't look like we're, (laughs) oh, crazy guys with a crazy conspiracy. No, it's a real conspiracy. And it's really true. We've got John O'Connor with us today. He, of course, is uh, doing a little bit of a year in review with us today. Uh, What what was. What was one of the major stories that kind of just slipped through the cracks that a lot of people did not think about this year much? Well, 
you know, that's a good idea. I, I'll tell you what I think is a major story that uh, I think will still be suppressed to some degree. It's coming out a little bit. But here we are. Once again, we're now gearing our entire country up toward green energy. Oh, green energy is the greatest thing in the world. Yeah. Uh, we're spending trillions. We're revamping all of our infrastructure to accommodate this green energy. We're revamping our uh, our, our, our financial uh, sector with this ESG, and you've got to take into account environmental risk and all this stuff, which is government-made risk. So you have all yeah. this a country going toward green energy, but yet no one is really reporting on the fact that all of these young uh, fellows in, in the Congo are dying deaths yeah. because they're mining cobalt. That's yeah. just one little aspect of it, but the press is so silent because after all, if we tell people that cobalt is causing deaths and uh, of, of, of hundreds, if not thousands, of young kids every month. Uh, if we t told people that, gosh, maybe people would think that, that uh, you know, uh, electric vehicles are not an answer. <laughs> but so what we have is we have this terrible abuse that's, do we have our investigative reporters, they've never heard of this? Of course they know about it. Oh, yeah. They're just keeping mum on letting the general populace know how bad this is. Now, that's just one aspect of the green story that is not coming out. So if you talk about it, we could probably, you and I could probably come up with 20 green stories <laughs> that are not being told that make green not so good, you know, uh, and, but we don't say anything about that because, my gosh, that would really mess up uh, our thoughts that, gee, everybody should have an electric vehicle. Um, you know, so there are just so many aspects to that one, uh, Jiggy, that, you know, where is our uh, investigative media when we really need it uh, and telling people, look, look, let's hold our horses here. Yeah, uh, you're not saving that much energy from from these electric vehicles. And by the way, the statistics are now in crashes of electric vehicles cause far more deaths. Than yes. crashes of regular vehicles. Yeah. Because it's like you hit somebody with your regular fist, you're probably not going to kill them. You put brass knuckles on, which just make your fist that much heavier. Now you can start killing people or maiming people with that punch. And so we've now we've got a bunch of cars after getting them lighter and more efficient over the years. We're now making them clunky and heavy and causing deaths. Another thing that we're doing is we're creating environmental time bombs. Now, Teslas have not yet gotten old. They haven't been matured. But, you know, these batteries are environmental time bombs. Uh, some batteries cannot be recycled, um, yes. like Nissan Leafs. You can't do anything about them, so those are time bombs. What do you do, bury them? Well, they leak. You're going to burn them? Well, that puts stuff in the air. <laughs> can't do anything about it. Yeah. What do you do about that? Nobody talks about it. And when you talk about the savings that you might get in some way to the environment, you're not calculating these other things. When you're talking about costs, you're not calculating the costs of that and the environmental damage that all this causes, even for batteries that can be recycled. Um, 
it's very, very expensive and very <laughs> energy consuming. You need massive amounts of energy yes. to recycle a battery and you can't yeah. get it through wind power. So you got to have fossil fuels to recycle. Uh, so the whole thing, Jiggy, is, is terrible. But the press, every media outlet has a reporter or more or one or more who do nothing but scream about climate. They're climate people. And, you know, no matter what happens, you know, there's a rash of hangnails in, uh, you know, in America. <laughs> well, that's all comes from uh, climate. Everything is a result of climate, you know, whether the, there's a flood or a drought or this or that or it's cold or it's hot. Everything comes from climate. So we have no reporting on that just as a general matter. So, yeah. Um, well, the but, one thing, John, with these with these uh electric vehicles and this is the thing that i've always wondered who is who is the person that is making the cash on this because i remember in the early 90s and in the late two or early 2000s they had all these ideas for electric vehicles and everybody laughed at them and they're like oh that'll never happen and then all of a sudden, like three, four years ago, oh, everybody and their brothers got one. They're making them affordable. They're putting in these these uh, charging stations all over the place. Ford and Toyota and everybody. Oh, my God, electric vehicles, greatest thing in the world. And I'm like, okay, so who was the one that figured out how to make the money? <laughs> and now all of a sudden, we're doing electric vehicles. Well, I'll tell you one guy. I mean, I hate to say this, but one guy was Elon Musk. Yeah. Because what happened is a bunch of rich white people got subsidies from the government to buy these things. <laughs> so so Musk has got to be laughing because it's not, you know. Meanwhile, of course, the more we pour our resources into these things, the less fossil fuel we can give to Africa, which is going to jumpstart their infrastructure. Uh, in Africa right now, for example, in the maternity wards, they don't have enough energy to have every woman have a sonogram. So you don't know if there's wow. fetal distress. You don't know if there should be. So a lot of babies are not being saved because you just can't use the power for that sonogram for everybody that's pregnant. That's just one example and of, of how our... We could, if we gave fossil fuel to Africa, sold it, if we had a surplus like we did have, and yeah. got it to Africa, we could help Africa, we could help a lot of people who do not have energy security, billions of people. But now what we're doing is all our resources are going to wealthy people from Palo Alto and San Francisco are driving their Teslas around and virtue signaling. And of course, when they really need a vehicle, they take out their second and third cars, you know, <laughs> that actually run on gas. You know, I know it. I mean, look, I've got a lot of friends that have Teslas and other cars, and they all have other vehicles that they really use when they really need it. But uh, but that's that's a good example of how our society is really. But you're talking about who makes money, cui yeah. bono. Uh, you've got people like Musk, but you've got a, a tremendous amount of lobbyists on K Street that are making big bank with all these green initiatives. For instance... Who made money on Solyndra when Obama gives $500 million that goes down the tubes on that? that? Somebody besides Solyndra made money on that. You know, there are brokers, there are agents, there are fixers, there are lawyers that are all getting this money. And then, of course, there's so many green 
energy initiatives where you can just give out, it seems like nothing. Giving out $50 million is nothing. It's not even worth your time uh, grousing about that when you have billions and billions going out the door. But how many people on there on K Street are getting their 50 million bucks yeah. for some green study? Well, we have studies up the yin yang. They're making money. <laughs> it's always Biden's real, real, of real fond of studies that that tell him well, what he needs study. to learn, and then he doesn't do anything, and he moves on to another study. Right, and the studies <laughs> all seem to confirm what he wants them to confirm. Yes. But then there are other people that are getting all kinds of, um, you know, besides the research and all that, you have subsidies that go to different uh, companies. Now, who arranges that? Who makes money on that? Yeah. How many conservative Republicans are getting those subsidies? I think very few. Uh, you know, uh, so, uh, you know, th th this whole idea of uh, that, that, that electric vehicles really are a solution, it, it's nonsensical. It really is not a solution yeah. at all. We've got John O'Connor with us today. He joins us live. So let's talk about the, as, as we're doing our year in review here, uh, what are some of the major court cases that people, yeah. uh, that, that people you know, have been talking about? Well, there's one that is the Himalayas and everything else is the foothills. And that's, of course, <laughs> Dobbs versus Mississippi. And... Uh, I'll tell you, I mean, I guess as a Catholic, I'm a pro-life guy in general, although, you know, if my daughter got pregnant, I'd probably say, hey, if you want to have an abortion, you should have an abortion. Yeah. Um, but 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 I, uh, that clearly had an impact on this last election. Uh, there's no doubt about it, a yeah. very serious impact. And I don't think the Supreme Court should look to determine what is impactful and what is not. But certainly, but what I would say in terms of judicial humility, in terms of the idea that you shouldn't decide more of a case than you need to, you did not need, the Supreme Court did not need to overrule Roe in its entirety. It did not need to keep some of it, but it just needed not to overrule all of it and say, look, this law is fine. This is a, this, yeah, this is a first trimester law. Will allow it because it, it it's you know it, it it permits abortions just past the first trimester, 15 weeks. It's yeah. fine. It's constitutional. And here's why Roe was overstated. Most people understand Roe was went too far and was sort of a poorly reasoned opinion. You could shave it down and still have room to argue first trimester abortions in another case. I wish they would have done that. I wish they would have exercised judicial humility. But in the Supreme Court, there's a real tension between deciding just the case at hand versus having a case where you yes. can enunciate this big, broad rule. And then you go off and you don't need to visit the subject for years and years. You've made your pronouncement. So I understand the rationale. I understand why they may want to get rid of Roe once and for all and just put everything back to the states. But boy, in the short term, that kills any conservative or um, Republican in a yes. purple district. I, I, I think it's the death knell. I would be very upset 
if I were in California and were a representative in a purple district, which is about as conservative as you get in California, because you're you're toast after that decision. And see, this is the thing that I always thought was so strange as we led into the elect the midterm elections. There was a lot of Republicans that were running that they didn't see what the big deal was. And I'm like, do you not understand what's going on here? And and now just like, I don't know, two or three weeks ago, there are Republicans that are starting to realize, you know, that probably wasn't a good idea to do that. And I'm like, how did you not see this? You see it. I see it. How did these political people not see this? Well, yeah. And to Roberts now, Roberts was, I think, a little bit um, too concerned about public opinion in the Obamacare decision. Yeah, because that really was a case where you have to go one way or the other. And he got he got intimidated by Senator Leahy and President Obama and others and changed his view and upheld the Affordable Care Act. I criticize him for that. On the other hand, in this case, Roberts, with his innate caution, innate caution, was one of the voices that said, hey, let's not go overboard here, guys. Let's kind of limit this holding to where it should be. And so you got to give Roberts, because Roberts knew he's got his antenna out there and he knows that he, as a representative of the court, is just going to get crucified at the next cocktail party. Yes. so, so maybe he's more overly concerned about cocktail parties and his what people are going to say when he and his wife go to church. But, uh, but in this case, uh, the, that weather vane of uh, Roberts probably would have been very useful. Uh, and I don't know who it was that was pulled over the line at the last minute, whether it was Kavanaugh or Gorsuch. But I wish, and that's when that uh, opinion got leaked, when the fifth voice came over. And I wish that fifth guy hadn't come over. And we would have had this split decision, four people saying the whole thing's overruled, two people saying not so fast. And it would have been a good setup for future uh, discussions. And we could ease into, even if it's... um, and then the states can start picking up the slack a little bit uh, to the extent that their citizens want to protect the right to abortion, which I can see. They can take their steps and figure out how much they want to protect it, how much they don't want to. So maybe 10 years from now, when the second shoe dropped on Roe, it wouldn't be such a big deal. But the way they did it was really very painful. And, 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 and it causes the left some justified cynicism when both Kavanaugh and Gorsuch, I think, both said, oh, gee, uh, Roe is a super, is, is precedent. It's precedent. I'm going to respect it. You have to really explain that in the opinion. If it's precedent, why is it you're overruling it? You can't overrule precedent. <laughs> I mean, there you go. Plessy versus Ferguson said separate but equal was fine, and that was overruled in Brown v. Board of Education. We get that, but you have to be very uh, respectful of precedent. And yes. uh, even though it's terrible, terribly reasoned precedent, I mean, Ruth Ginsburg said it was terrible precedent. Uh, my law professor said it was terrible precedent, <laughs> poorly reasoned, but nonetheless, do you just rip it off? Ah. 
So that's that's the one jiggy that more than anything else. Uh, I think Gorsuch also has gotten us into some uh, issues. And I don't know if he did it this year. It was at the end of last year where he gave the Indians, the Native Americans, some 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 yeah, uh, I remember that maybe is going to be very troublesome and, and that I think everybody would hope that we can gracefully back our way out of that one. And I can't tell you the exact contest I, uh, context. I just know it's a it's a little bit troublesome, too. Um, but those are the worst court cases, I think, that we've got. Well, what do you think is going to be because uh, I know the Supreme Court has all sorts of things that they're they've talked about. They're going to be looking into now that they've they've pulled this Roe versus Roe versus Wade thing off. Uh, what what do you think they're going to try to look at next? Well, I think the broad scope, which I'm in favor of, is to try to get rid of all discriminatory practices. You know, um, and uh, and that has some interesting aspects to it too. For instance, they don't like affirmative action, uh, where somebody at Harvard gets in simply because they're. Uh, black or yeah. gets rejected because they're Asian. An awful lot of Asians are getting rejected because there's an awful lot of Asians with perfect scores on the SAT. So what do we do? Now these Ivy League schools are, are getting rid of standardized tests, standardized scores. So now we're coming to a, a time in America where excellence is no longer measured. This is just yeah. one excellence. It's if somebody works hard and can get, get it down that they can uh, excel on the on the college boards, the, you know, ACTs, whatever they are, uh, shouldn't that excellence be rewarded? Apparently it's not. Now, now we're getting to the point where we're telling kids it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how well you do, how much you study, uh, how well you get these concepts down. I'm not so sure that's a good, that's a good thing. So what happens is, as the Supreme Court tries to get rid of discrimination, they encourage discrimination because now Harvard and Yale quit using those tests. And they say, okay, we're not going to use these tests at all. And so now what happens? So now they have complete. Now we're back to the point where, guess what? People are going to get in Harvard and Yale because their dads contribute money. And other people are going to get in because yeah. they're black or brown or <laughs> disabled or trans or something. Uh, rather than just saying we're going to get the best people in here. Uh, so that's that's something that I think the Supreme Court, it, though, I mean, I like the idea of having a non-discriminatory um, uh, framework for all yeah. of our actions. But now maybe the backlash is not good. So that's one of the things they're going to do. I think they're going to protect uh, people who want to believe and speak and say as they wish. I think that's a good thing. I, I think that's an unalloyed good if a baker, a baker shouldn't be forced to, oh, you yeah. know, write something uh, he feels repugnant on a birthday cake. I get yeah. it. And that's that doesn't have that doesn't have a lot of blowback to me. Uh, so that's fine. But but the Supreme Court is going to be wading into these things and um, we'll see. I think there's a real fight between traditional American values of work hard and, and sort of meritocracy, I guess. Yep. And the other idea that, oh, we're going to level the playing field so much that excellence doesn't count anymore. Now you're trying to make it based upon 
politics and you know who look at me i've <laughs> i have this these four kinds of uh you know minority specializations i'm a this i'm a that you know and i'm left-handed and uh, you know and blah 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 so therefore i should be picked uh we have uh you know we have a president that thinks it's really great to pick uh, as a secretary, uh, uh, one of his cabinet officers, uh, a trans person. That's fine to pick a trans person. I'm not saying he shouldn't pick yeah. a trans person, but he shouldn't go out of his way to give that person precedence over somebody who hasn't changed his or her gender. Yeah. And that's what we get. And then we have his press secretary. Oh, this is the first. And I think she's. Uh, I think she's a black lesbian, the, yeah. the present press secretary. So, I actually I think she's for Biden's purposes is a fine press secretary. But uh, to, uh, I, I don't like her. But I mean, I think for Biden's purposes she's good. But my point is to emphasize that as a qualification to say I'm picking my vice president. I'm going to have a black woman. All those things are very bad precedents because before you even search the field, you say, I'm going to have a black woman. Well, wait a second. Yeah. I'll just put out an ad. By the way, I want I want to hire nothing but Christian white men. How's that? That are conservatives. Yeah, that I mean, would work. <laughs> that, that, that ain't going to get over. <laughs> no, that's not going to. And it's wrong. I think it's wrong to do that. It's wrong to do the other things. Oh, boy, I only want. So. We've got to get off of this thing, off of this train, and I don't know how we're going to do it. So, John O'Connor joins us today. He, of course, has a ton of books out there. His latest, how is the latest book doing, my friend? Well, I got to tell you, James, you know, what's really doing well is the book Postgate. Okay. Uh, Postgate is still riding high after a couple of years, and it never goes out of, of, uh, interest and and yeah. importance so postgate is doing real well but i got to tell you this that um my book mysteries of watergate i had a couple fantastic reviews of it when it came out it's called the mysteries of watergate what really happened it's a very easy beach read that tells you a lot about watergate but i got two reviews that were out of sight but they linked into my podcast not into the book <laughs> So my podcast blew up. My podcast was going great guns, <laughs> but people were listening to my podcast and not reading the book. So, so I got off to kind of a funny start there, where I took a lot of the people that That's were, awesome, uh, you know, <laughs> would, would otherwise be interested. So, but it's a heck of a good book, The Mysteries of Watergate: What Really Happened. It's not doing as well as it should for that very reason. If you look at my podcast statistics, it's ridiculous, and the podcast was already drawing people off. To the same general area anyway yeah. and now with the linking this the book reviews were out of sight the book review said this is the most exciting book you're ever going to read <laughs> so they went to my podcast so uh, but but i would commend this to your readers if they want to have some fun uh this winter hold up uh, you know when it's cold and wet uh yeah. mysteries of watergate what really happened that's awesome well uh as we wrap up here up my final topic with John O'Connor today is should Trump have announced <laughs> as early as he did or w what do you make of all this because now I'm uh, there's a I guess Mike Pence is filed he wants to run which I don't think he's got a shot in hell but 
there's a lot of people that are starting to get on the bandwagon. And I'm like, you know, if Trump would have waited, let a lot of these guys file and then come in and say, you know, I don't think we ought to have Pence. I don't think we ought to have this guy or that guy or that girl. I'm running instead of I'm the first one out the gate. Well, he thought he would clear the field. And in another time, had he not had his January 6th issues and so forth and some of his other issues, it would have been fine. He would have cleared the field. But two things happened to him. He, since the election, he's gone downhill. A lot of Republicans are disaffected from him and independents especially. They just don't like the guy because as, as well as they thought he did as president, they don't like you know, what he brings along is baggage. And they're also, people are starting to realize that he's going to have trouble winning the general. And once you have that aura of inevitability wiped away from you, and as a matter of fact, the opposite presumption happens. There's an aura of being an inevitable loser. People all of a sudden start looking around. Now, right at the time he announces, here comes DeSantis riding a white horse on a wave of popularity winning Dade County, uh, you know, and Trump is forced to try to try unsuccessfully to take the tarnish off DeSantis. And now that doesn't work. He now is shooting a bullet that just turns out to be a dud. He doesn't shoot DeSantis down. He's out there. He's not stirring up excitement. His announcement speech fell flat. A lot because it yeah. just wasn't the right time. People, people were exhausted, exhausted with the yes. He comes out. He tries to be statesmanlike in his speech, and all of a sudden it gets boring. Now all of a sudden you would say, "Wait a second. One reason I like Trump was because as wild as the guy was, he was never boring. <laughs> now he's running into boredom. So yeah. I think, in a way, it probably cooked his goose. I think there's no aura of excitement around him, and I think over the next year now he's going to be fighting off indictments, he's going to be fighting yeah. off investigations. Yeah. Of course, of course, I can muster all the defenses to what they're doing to him as I have in the past. It's just unfair. I don't care if he's the worst guy in the world. I'm going to defend him. Uh, regardless if the other side is unfair to him. You can't do that. If you don't like a guy, you can't throw out the rule book. So I will always defend against any kind of uh, wrongful uh, pursuit of him. But at the same time, I do think that after all this, DeSantis will come out untarnished. I think there's going to be a steady wave of fundraising for him. And people are, there's a certain amount of Trump fatigue. It's just too much, Um, you know. And so I think probably his decision to come out early. Now you you see headlines where Jared and Ivanka are not supporting him. Not supporting, they're not going to be on his campaign team. (laughs) None of this is good for him. And uh, all that happens is is that it looks like he's just taking on water all the time. Um, Yeah. So I think I think by by the end of this year, um, by the end of this year, I think Trump is going to be flat and will not be inevitable. Let's put it that way. Now, I just hope 
I just hope that those people who support Trump, and I understand it. I mean, the guy did a heck of a job for so many people in our country. And I'm one of his great, I, I was very surprised at what a good job he did. Very surprised and, and thankful and always respectful of what he's done. But I just think that hopefully whatever happens, the party will not be turned uh, and the conservative movement will not be torn apart over Trump. In other words, will the pro-Trump Trumpers, if they realize that he's losing, can Trump persuade them to abandon a good alternative candidate? Let's say DeSantis starts beating Trump, which I think will happen, by the way. And let's say he's beating him in places, uh, you know, 35 to 25, like in a uh, in a primary. Will, as it looks more inevitable that DeSantis will win, Trump uh, will, first of all, will Trump try to destroy DeSantis going down? Will he try to get his followers to disaffect oh, yeah. as, as Bernie bros almost disaffected from Hillary years past? Or will people say, okay, we've got to unite. We've got a guy that's like Trump in his policies, but doesn't have all the baggage. Let's go with him. That's the real question for this year, Jiggy, and you and I, I think, will be following it as time goes on here. But that's that's a big thing to watch. Now, it may well be that, who knows, maybe some groundswell starts again for Trump. I don't see it because there's so many things that are going on. Uh, let me give you one before we leave. Yeah. Uh, when we have... People, Trump's people telling witnesses before January 6th, the less you remember, the better. We're starting to get into obstruction. You know, Mar-a-Lago, same thing. How much did he obstruct? Did he tell people not to tell people where the documents were? It's a silly, biased assault <laughs> against Trump in Mar-a-Lago, but nonetheless, he can't, he can't obstruct it. So I think he's going to be bedeviled by legal problems as the as the year goes on. And he's just going to take a little water here, a little water there. Independents are going to go away from him totally. A lot of moderate Republicans are going against him. Even real conservative people who uh, conservatives don't necessarily like lawbreakers. And, you know, there are a lot of conservative yeah. people that say, hey, look, I've had enough of the guy. Uh, so that's the real thing to watch. Um, I think everybody has to be respectful to Trump and uh, for what he's accomplished. But at the same time, let's also be practical and try to look at this and say, OK, what is best for our country and for the moderate to conservatives in this country who really should be uh, uh, controlling things, who have the most votes and are not really being represented as, as we should be? Well, John, before we let you go, how do people get your books and the podcast and, and everything else? Well, go to postgatebook.com or Amazon, postgatebook.com, and either get Postgate or Mysteries of Watergate. And, um, and, and the only reason I do it this is because of the media. The media is our big problem. It does not get information out to the people. On it. That's, what's, that's really the ultimate thrust of those books. Well, I'll tell you, this has been uh, an interesting uh, year. 
I look forward to uh, chatting with you in the next one and uh, have fun out there in Hawaii. And uh, I will talk to you soon. Thank you, sir. Hey, good being with you. Happy New Year to you, Jiggy. Appreciate Take it, care. my friend. I'll talk to you soon. There he goes. Yeah. Fantastic. John O'Connor with us today doing a uh, year in review here on our big program. So... We are going to try to get a hold of Donna Sebo. Uh, I think she's got a she's got a different number, so we are going to go to Donna Sebo. If I can get the Skip Skype to cooperate with me. I just don't understand why it does not want to cooperate with me today. I just can't seem to get this to work. What is the deal here? So let's try Donna Sebo as we continue our year in review show here on our big program. And, uh, Donna Sebo. We're going to see if we can get a hold of Donna Sebo here. We'll see what happens here. Donna Sebo. Donna, how are you? It's James giving you a call. How are you? Well, I'm fine. You had said that I was to call you, so that's what I've yes, done. Yes, yes. Well, I've got you now, so I think that is... That is fantastic. We have got Donna Sebo with us today. And about once or twice a year, we talk with Donna, and usually it is about the end of the year. And um, Donna, what, 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 do you, what do you think of some of the things that happened this past year? Well, I wasn't surprised at many of the different situations that evolved, whether it was concerning the weather, politics, or just overall shifts and changes. With COVID, I feel that period of time that all of us had to go through really pushed us forward about 10 years. And when I was looking at that, and I was evaluating it in my mind's view, I think we have been in many ways blessed by this very significant wake-up call because of COVID. And it has enabled us to really make some shifts and changes that we need to make. And again, I think it was a, a real push forward. We've got Donna Sebo with us today. She joins us live here on our big program. So, Donna, another thing is this was a political year. This was a midterm election year. Uh, what, 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 what did you think of the way that all of that shook out? Well, I think it gave a real, a real inside view in many respects about how important it is that, number one, public officials be held accountable. Number two, that there is so much that we have not been made aware of. And number three, that it's important for us as individuals 
especially here in the United States, but in any country that has freedom, because we are global in our communication in today's world, much more so, I think, than any other time in known history, uh, human history. And I think there is an understanding that has evolved, and it is an understanding is that we don't want the lack of maturity that is supposed to be and the in place with public officials and also we really want to hold them accountable and who's going to step up to the plate of responsibility and really pay attention to what needs to be done i think this is in many ways and maybe people will disagree with me but i think that there is a sense of disgust with so much of what goes on on both sides of the political arena or any other side of the political arena and getting rid of the illusions it is a very very important job to be a public servant and again there needs to be an accountability. And I think most people have a very strong sense of that. We've got Donna Sebo with us today. She joins us live here on our big broadcast. So, Donna, we had the midterm elections. We had uh, a lot of other things happen. There was uh, some big Supreme Court cases that took place. What did you make of those? I think, as a compliment to what I just expressed, there was a very strong feeling that the decisions, many of the decisions that were finally made public, were not really in the level of perception by the public, of being in association and connection with the real world, what the real world is all about. I remember being at an airport and waiting to catch a shuttle to come home after a business trip. And there was a woman that I had the opportunity to chat with, and she was on her way to Washington, D.C. And she was there to talk with people to try to make them understand a particular arena of concern. And this had to do with the environment, I believe, if I'm remembering correctly. And one of the statements she made was, and I've heard this many times before, that the people in the positions of responsibility politically too often do not have an idea of the real world. They are not engaged or involved with what we as individuals collectively deal with on a regular basis. And whether you're talking about Roe versus Wade or you're talking about some other situations, climate change, emergency resolutions that have to be looked at, there are so many aspects that people are making decisions about and they have no background or experience in those arenas. Again, this is something that I think is being brought forth in a very, very significant way. And it is, it's something that it's got to be paid attention to, and it will be. 
And we're going to see gradually, it's not going to happen overnight, but we are going to see gradually a very, very large shift in the attitudes and the thinking of people. And I know that there are those that have said, because I've had conversations with various individuals, they feel like the United States is really going down the tubes, that they have the people of the United States, well, they're going to end up just like some other countries that we are very familiar with that have suffered devastating situations. But I don't, I don't see that. I think that because of our diversity, this waking up period that we're still going through, brought on by COVID, I do think this is creating a wave of change, a thinking and perceptive way of change that is going to really make a difference. I don't see us going backwards, but it is going to take a lot of hard work, and I think that the people of this nation are really of that mind and disposition to be able to come together and to work together. But sometimes you have to go backwards, as seemingly we have done in some respects, to be able to move forward. And that is, I think, where we're going to find ourselves. And I think over the next two to three years, we're going to see some very, very dynamic changes that are going to show that the American spirit is far from being dead. It's very much alive. We've got Donna Sebo with us today. She joins us live here on our big, big program. So, Donna, what was one of the most important things that happened this year, in your opinion? I think one of the most important things that happened this year is that there was the reality really hitting big time that at any time, any place, there are going to be those individuals that are going to have their handy-dandy cameras in hand, and they're going to make sure that they record everything they possibly can. (laughs) And those little cameras are called smartphones, and it's an awareness that there is all of this that can be going on, and we're oblivious to it. It It's fascinating. We are going through a wake-up period. We really, really are. And I think this year of 2022 has been so dramatically obvious in bringing forth a lot of real information, whether it be about the agricultural industry, the changes that have occurred there, shortages that have occurred in ways and manners that people very comfortably thought she was, everything's going to be provided to us. And we've taken it for granted without understanding how significant the infrastructure of this nation is and that there are millions of people that are not going to necessarily be on the front of any newspaper or any magazine, but they are the core background of what enables us as a nation to have many of the benefits we've got. But it's also an awareness that we have to be attentive to many things that need to be taken care of. So a lot of the decisions that have been made in the past 
following a particular patterning. The shakeups that we've gone through, I think, are healthy. I think, yes, they are disturbing, and they need to be disturbing because we need to come out of what I consider of complacency. And remember that our nation overall has gone through many, many episodes like this with different costuming of happenings. But by golly, we weathered them, we got through them. We're going to get through this too. But it's, it's exciting to me in one way when I find out about young people who are inventing and designing developing they're not waiting for someone to sit around and you know intellectualize something until it becomes dust they're really ready to do what's necessary to get things done and they are there there is that expectation i think also of the adult community especially seniors and they many of them are stepping up we are coming out of a belief patterning that has been in existence for a long time. And we're realizing that a lot of those beliefs and assumptions don't serve us anymore. It's time for us to step up and to recognize that we really are in one of the most significant periods of our history. We've got Donna Sebo with us today. Donna joins us, of course, from the Donna Sebo Show. So talk to me about some of the different things that have been going on on your program. Oh, my goodness. I've been doing everything from interviews with former prisoners of San Quentin to top business leaders. And it's, it really is a joy to me to be able to be in the broadcasting environment, to be able to bring these authors that I feature from around the world. And one of the big, big levels of awareness that I have is that we truly are very global as a human family. And whether you talk to someone in Australia or Germany or someplace in Africa, Ethiopia, it doesn't make any difference where people are. They're human beings. And they are going through a lot of what we're going through in this country. And the significance to me is that I am in the fortunate positioning of being aware of how important it is for us to communicate with each other, to share our knowledge, our information, and not to be fearful, but to be aware that we need to support and we need to be open to innovation, to the fact that changes have evolved. How can we help each other so that we can have better lives, so that we can offer to our children those educational opportunities that need to be there, so that as adults we know that we can adapt and we can change to whatever needs to be worked with. We are living in, I feel, one of the most exciting periods that has come along because we can move forward. But the old worlds of attitudes and dispositions, they are changing. They are changing. They're going through death throes. We're seeing that today expressed in many different things that are going on globally. And it's a hard change. It is a very hard change. But we can make it. We can do it. 
and we can do it collectively. We've got Donna Sebo with us today. She joins us here on our big broadcast. And uh, as we wrap up here with Donna, uh, what do you have planned for this next year, my friend? If my plans go accordingly, I think that I'm going to be expanding my broadcasting environment. And also, I'm going to be doing more public speaking and seminars. So to me... Part of my work is to be able to encourage people to understand that as individuals, they are going to be able to reach for those dreams, if you will, those aspirations that they have. But they may find that they're going to have some unique happenings along the way, but to never, ever give up that dream, but to understand you can acquire the tools so that that dream can be realized. Sometimes the dream ends up in a way and manner you never expected. I never expected that I would be celebrating 22 years of daily programming as I am this year. And when I think of when I started in 2001, I figured, eh, you know, maybe a year or two. How many people are going to be able to say that they've, they've done daily programming and now, well, since 2014, I've done six shows a week. And it has been so empowering to, and I'm so appreciative of the people that I've had the privilege of crossing paths with. And that's why I'm so supportive of education, of training, and I'm going to be actively engaged in that very process in my own way. Fantastic. Well, Donna, thanks for doing this. I uh, really appreciate the time, and we will uh, we will talk to you soon, my friend. Have yourself a uh, Wonderful, wonderful day. Thank you, Donna. And James, I wish you nothing but continued success in your broadcasting as well. Thank you. Thank you, my friend. Have yourself a uh, happy new year, my friend. Happy new year to you, too. <laughs> there she goes, the uh, fantastic Donna Sebo, as we wrap up here on this edition of the World Famous. Jiggy Jaguar Radio Broadcast. And uh, that is going to wrap it up for this broadcast. We will see you next time. Thanks for joining us. Peace! Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather, now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus.